heard Nancy Cagle refer to the way in which you truly spell fellowship is F-O-O-D, food. And just a matter of time, we'll have numerous college students, hundreds of college students will begin coming back to Nacogdoches in just a short amount of time. You can't think of fellowship and, and home and hospitality without really thinking of each of those three. But in two weeks, as a heads up, as our church has been so faithfully faithful to do, we've asked part of its legacy. God has provided us this campus, the space right beside the university, to be a light to the campus, to love on students, to share with them the gospel, and to weave them into the life of our multi-generational body. We'll be having a, a church-wide cookout. I almost said camp out. We won't be doing that. But we're really doing a cookout right out here. All the food will be uh, prepared in advance. You don't have to bring anything except for yourself. We'll have chairs set out. We'll have Hyder Street to be closed off. Roman will share a little bit more with us about that in a little bit. But home. You can tell when somebody feels like they're home. A place can become home very quickly. Matter of fact, so many of our college students are an example of that. In a matter of just a year of being here, many of them struggle to go back home, the place they came from. And yet when they're there, they say, I almost feel more at home here. Home. Jesus, now in our text, is to a point that she physically will be leaving them. And home for the disciples who've been following him around in his teaching. They don't have a physical address that is their base. They continue to travel around. Their home is in the presence of Jesus. Jesus tells them this hard truth that brings them sorrow. But Jesus says, I am going to leave you, but it is for your advantage that I leave. What a situation of needed trust. For the disciples to trust and to believe that what Jesus, their good and faithful teacher, what he's telling them is actually the truth. That his leaving is for their blessing and for their advantage. When he leaves, he will send the helper, the Spirit. This is what we face this morning. What does it mean that the helper is to our advantage? As we look at our text, we'll know that understanding of where your home is, Matter of fact, church family, every time we gather together on Sunday morning or even in smaller groups or fellowships, we're reminded of where our home ultimately is. In the response of the unbelieving world, we'll give to Jesus and his disciples will be a comforting reality that their home is not in an unbelieving world, but their home is with Jesus, whose home is from above. So as you have your Bibles, let's begin, as we note first, that the world's inhospitality to Jesus and his messengers, it reveals everyone's true home. Numerous times through the text, the Gospel of John, Jesus has made clear, he is sent from the Father above. He has come to fulfill the scriptures, to fulfill all righteousness. And to testify of this, he's worked miracles, he's fulfilled the scriptures. He's done the deeds, he's spoken the words, everything the Father has prepared for him to do, he has done them. And now, the unbelieving world will play their part. They'll play their part in the natural response as they look to Jesus, they will judge him. Not with righteous judgment, but with Barnabas scale, or Barabbas scales. They'll judge him demanding a murderer in his place, the innocent man of God. 
and in this way, confirming by the world's own confession that Jesus is not of them. He is unique from above. And what's it mean for the believer? It means for the believer, just as the teacher has suffered by the unbelieving world who's opposed to his message, even though he came to, to save sinners. The unbelieving world's hostility toward him will be reflected in his followers and toward his followers. But as the master receives hardship from the unbelieving world, the servants ought to experience and expect the same. And in this way, don't take it personally. Summarizing verses 18 through 27, as we experience inhospitality from the world, believers are not to take it personally. So much so that in Romans chapter 12, Paul encourages the church before speaking about the role of government. He encourages the church, he says, may the Lord provide us an opportunity to bless those who persecute unbelievers. And then he, it's almost like he knows the response of the reader. And he says, yes, to bless and not to curse them. Jesus tells his disciples, hardship is coming. The hour of your trial, children, is coming. But don't take it personal. It's not about you. For the believer, then, we remember, we're reminded, we're encouraged. That just as Jesus faces hardship, so too it confirms he is truly from above. And believer, your home is from above. That's good news. That's our home. Our home is with Jesus. And, and as we suffer, and Scripture is clear many times, don't suffer for being a fool. Suffer for being faithful to Christ. And as you experience hardship, as you stand upon the Word of God, walking by the Spirit, if you experience hardship, praise Christ. Praise the Lord, for it confirms that our home is with Him above. So the hostility to the world, the believer, is not to take it personal, for even in Jesus' bodily ministry upon the earth, it confirms where His home is. The believer, you, me, all believers over all the face of the earth, for all time, from Israel, and the unbelieving world's response to Yahweh and hostility and inhospitality was simply affirming that they were to be not of this world, but be a light to the world, blessing the nations. In a similar way, we, brothers and sisters in Christ, hostility toward the gospel message and therein gospel messengers ought to bring us peace and comfort to know that we are following simply in the steps of our Savior. He says that he has chosen them. Believers have been chosen. Christ chose his disciples. He chose Judas, as we've seen already knowing Judas would, would betray him. He's chosen us. We'll see as we get to chapter 17 that Jesus prays for you. Maybe Jesus prays for you. A wintry boy or girl, teenager, Jesus prays for you. Believer, this is good news. Jesus prays for us. And in praying for us, we see that we are of those that the Father has chosen and given to Christ. Chosen ones. 
chosen ones. I think this is an appropriate identification as we think of the unbelieving world, the chosen ones, that those who believe upon Christ, they gather. It's a mark of who we are as believers. We are gathering ones. It's who we are. We gather. Now, there's, this is a good point to speak to some things on the table, very honestly. I'll be honest with you. This part that I'm about to speak with you, I wrestled with for two weeks. And I'll say it, that I want you to hear it love and yet honesty. Uh, this is just a large elder meeting right here. It's a discussion we had Tuesday morning. Here's the tension that we face in COVID life, in reality of situations that we face right now in our lives. Here's the elder meeting. How do we shepherd? Now, let me say this again. The call that again very clearly. What I'm saying brings no shame to those physically unable to gather. It is unwise for many to gather. We have many with the immune compromised systems. It is unwise. And I don't say these words to mind the conscience, but to bring the reality of this. When we don't physically gather in any context, one of two things happens. It's not just our congregation, it's any congregation. Over all the face of the earth. Either A, our hearts grow fonder of the local church. And we commit ourselves to. Our hearts grow in love for the local church, missing them deeper and deeper. And they gather together in His Word. Or our hearts begin to wander from the fellowship of the local church. Our hearts begin to grow colder for the local church. And like a ship that is not tied to the dock smallest of storms can take it to a place it never imagined. The question is, how do we love one another when the reality is not simply now, we're not taking when they, as some say, three weeks it takes to form a habit, but it's been months and months, and it may very well be months or years. How do we shepherd and love one another as a membership, as a body who's committed together care for each other, to serve one another, and as, as elders and pastors to watch over your souls and to care for you. How do we do this? Because beforehand, in a normal context, pre-COVID context, many of you received these texts, and I would receive it. If I was gone for two weeks straight, my phone would blow up. You'd be gone, especially because you'd be very noticeable. But in this context, and, and you, if you went three or four weeks, you didn't contact your small group, Small groups have been really able to be normally to get more information on that and fire those back up in several capacities in the fall. But if you weren't here for three or four weeks, Lord willing, you would have got a text or a phone call. How are you doing? But in this context, how do we shepherd people we can't physically see? Well, here's the answer. If we know one of those two realities is true, is that the people of God who we are to be the church that respond, God and Christ responds, we respond through the week. But we by nature, as being the people of God chosen out of the unbelieving world, we're a gathering people. Yes, following Christ is more than gathering, but it, gathering is part of following Christ. Do you agree? And so here's the, here's the tension. What do we do? What's the application for this? Here's my charge to every one of us. Every one of us is to reach out to somebody that's not physically in the room. 
And you may look around and say, well, actually, they may actually be over on that side, and I just can't see them. Well, here's, here's that application. Pray about it and reach out to somebody. Send a text this week. Make a phone call. We need to make sure the boats are tied down. We need to make sure the, the sheep are not being scattered by them. And so, so what would happen if I do that? Well, if it's, if it's a part of our body we can't physically gather, because a mark of health is, as time goes by, we greater long to gather. I didn't ask for permission for this, but my sister came down and was visiting us from Missouri. We're so excited to see her. We, we long to be together. It's good to see her. But physically, from proximity, we can't just gather together. You can't be like, what are you doing for lunch? It's right, 10 hours old. Proximity and situation makes it unwise to try to do that. And for many in our congregation, the, the reality of not physically gathering is simply unwise in a similar way. But your desire, it grows. And so if you contact somebody, and if you're at home unable to gather with us, reach out as well to other people. Lean in, reach in. Because the worst case is you contact somebody whose heart is growing fonder, and they're going to be the happiest phone call they get all week. Be the happiest through the spring door visit to get all week. And on the second case, if their heart is growing distant and they're just out of the routine of gathering together with the body, then what an act of love that we demonstrate one to another. This is the good news that God gives us. We don't judge each other in this way, but we love each other in this way. And we're thankful for technology. We are thankful for the street. God has given many people that are to be compromised and unable to visit the gathering. As a matter of fact, we're going to get new cameras that we ordered long time ago, just going to come in more willing next month. That will make the camera quality a higher quality. We're thankful for that. And, and I want to say, if, if, if those maybe some that have gotten in the habit that don't live in Nacogdoches County, I want to say to you all, I know our camera quality is not good enough, you can't even see my face, you just see a water rifle, that's okay. But we want to say to them, if they're not connected here, let us know if they don't live around here. We want to help you find, when you're physically able, a local Bible teaching church to plug into in your community. And you can have that and reach out to you and make sure you don't drift off. I want to say to others that are unable to physically gather but live in Nacogdoches County, we are excited to welcome you back with open arms. Or in COVID, open elbows. I don't let this sponsor the elbow thing. We love you. We love one another. And as the chosen ones of God, we gather. Christ walks this road of suffering alone, but as believers in Christ, we have to help us. We're not to walk it alone outside the fellowship. We walk it together. So lean into fellowship. Be known. And long to know others in our church fellowship. That is a privilege that God gives us. That is a privilege. Now, in verses 26 and 27, look back over this text as a reminder from what Jerry read for us. Verses 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about it. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. As we think of the story that we have here in context, Satan entered into Judas to execute the task of betrayal that Judas set his heart on. This was his desire. Jesus now tells the disciples, it's 
good for you. It's for your advantage because the Spirit, He is going to be sent, to, and I'm going to send Him to enter into you to lead you in all truth. The big takeaway, the Spirit who is in you, believer, is greater than the Spirit of the world. The Spirit that entered into the disciples is greater than the Spirit of Satan that entered into Jesus. This is good news. So pray, Spirit, when you put somebody on my heart to reach out to and to, to love and care for That's good news this morning. Second, first, believers ought not to take the world's inhospitality to the gospel message personal. And second, following Jesus will cost one socially and possibly gravely. Following Jesus will cost one socially and possibly gravely. Uh, the disciples will be kept from ultimately following away. We know they will follow away. Spoiler alert as we go through the Gospel of John. Peter, who denies Jesus three times, is restored by Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? It's restoration. Believe your hope and your confidence and your joy. The Lord comes to that. He keeps you. He will not lose you. You are in the grasp of Christ. Spirit has been sent to indwell you. But following Jesus will cost one. It will cost us. In John chapter 9, you remember John chapter 9? Of course you do. In John chapter 9, we have the scene of the blind man. The man born blind. You remember what the disciples said to the man that was on the side of the road? They walked up and they asked Jesus a question. They said, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it because he sinned or was it because as the story continues, the man placed his faith in Jesus Christ. He is given physical sight. But what is the consequence of his believing that Jesus is the Messiah? What is the consequence? The Pharisees cast him out of the synagogue. Fast forward here. Jesus tells his disciples, your consequences won't be because you sin or your parents sin. Your, con your consequences will be because you too believe I am in Christ, the Son of God sent from the Father. And you too will be cast out of the synagogues. The social and relational and spiritual cost is incredible. Now, to be honest, in East Texas, I don't know any of us that are fearful of being cast out of any synagogues. It's not a fear, literal fear of mine, but we have social costs that are fearful. I'm going to ask you a question. What would be among the most painful social, relational costs that you would have to pay in 2020 to follow Christ? A number of you would lose your jobs by posting orthodox sound theology. On basics of gender and marriage and salvation in Christ alone. Friend groups or family groups and social costs that would happen. And yet, believers can take part. There are real costs in our lives. And, and Jesus says, not only will they do so, look at verse 2, 
The hour is coming when whoever kills you will thank me as offering service to God. I'm speaking specifically to the disciples, but the cost that they're facing is one in which those who persecute them think they're doing it to please God. We can't read that and not think of the Apostle Paul, can we? When Saul went at the execution of Stephen, thinking what he was doing was pleasing the Lord. He was pleasing his God, but he was not pleasing Yahweh. Jesus would appear to him on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute Not Stephen. Not simply the church, but why do you persecute me? Because the church, the body of Christ, is hidden in Christ. In Christ and God. In our culture today, silencing or in other cultures as well, persecutions that have fallen the global church are often given moral language. It's a good thing that they're doing that, for they're oppressors in China, the same way. They're viewed as radicals, as enemies of the state, the believers who gather together in the waves of persecution that they face. And we, we see this happen. We ought not be surprised. The more powerful government becomes, oftentimes through history, the more power man gets, and the more they're in oppression and threat Yahweh does. Following Jesus will cost one socially and possibly greatly. The turning of Christ for his bride. The liberal generation from tremendous tribulation. I want to ask you a question. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but do we have our hope that we're not the generation that will experience tribulation? As generations for the last 2,000 years have experienced hardship for following Christ, we have to prepare ourselves faithfully. So Paul told the church in Rome, be patient in tribulation and suffrage for the sake of Christ. Constant in prayer. That's the ministry word that we are to take in our lives as well. Yes, the, the imminent return of our Savior. And yet an understanding of the hardships that the bride of Christ faces is for His glory and His good. And it leads us to be able to say with confidence. Secondly, as we look at verses 4 through 15, Christ's glorious purposes are nearly impossible to discern by mere circumstances. Meaning, it's nearly impossible to look and say, it's raining, therefore God must be judging me. Or it's a beautiful day, therefore God must be blessing me because of what I've done. It rains for the just and the unjust alike. It's nearly impossible to look at our circumstances alone and discerning Christ's glorious purposes. Let's unpack this in two ways. First, we see that the Lord blesses the believer with truth which brings sorrow. To follow Christ, to abide in the Helper, the Spirit who involves us, it is to recognize that He blesses us with truth which may bring sorrow. Jesus tells them in verse 6, He says to His disciples, Because I have said these things to you, sorrow or grief has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
Jesus knows their hearts are troubled, and he knows what their hearts cannot take. And some things, he says, I'll tell you later, your hearts are troubled enough right now. But it takes love to tell someone something that you know may grieve them, but it's true. And it's for their benefit and their good. That's love. That's the local church. That's the local church. The local church can't be information transfer. It can't be, I'm here because I like the preacher, which you wouldn't be here for that reason. I'm here because the music style fits all my needs, my desires. I'm here because the kids' program is awesome. It is an incredible team. But the mark of a healthy church is that we love one another enough to speak truth and love. And in that way, we have credibility with one another to speak those hard truths together. Because we're pouring our lives out together. So we grieve together. Scripture says we rejoice with each other and we weep with each other. And if at all possible, we live in harmony with one another. And it builds credibility to speak the hard truths and challenging one another to follow Christ, to abide in the helper who involves us, the convictor. Ephesians 4 says it like this. Truth in love. Why? Ephesians 4, 14. Let me read it. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Listen to this. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and in Christ, from whom the, body, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. Make the, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? In love. Speaking the truth in love, bathing God's word with God's heart, grows the body of Christ up in love. And in health. That's good news. This is who we are. He blesses the believer with truth, which may bring sorrow. Certainly this is not what the disciples wanted to hear. But because Jesus loved them, he told them the truth of what was about to come for him and for them. He prepared them and told them the good news of the helper that was to come. This sounds a lot like 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We won't read that text, but you can mark it. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul speaks of a previous letter that he wrote to them. He said, my previous letter grieved you. I'm not sorry that I wrote it because that godly grief turned to repentance in your life. That's love. If you have somebody in your life that loves you enough to tell you hard truths in love, you are so blessed. You are so blessed. If you think of how much of the unbelieving world tries to go through life they don't know the love of Christ, how would you go through life without knowing the love of Christ? You're a ship with a wandering compass, encountering the storms of life and grabbing on to anything, but nothing will anchor you. But the truth and love is that while we were yet sinners, Christ would die for us. Jesus, the righteous one, came, and all who have their faith and trust in Jesus have life eternal. We are sinners that have sinned that been alive by faith in Christ. And you can as well, regardless of what you've done. 
forgiveness and hope and home in heaven with Jesus. We tell them we live as proclaimers of this good news. That is beautiful. Second, finally, verses 7 through 15. The Lord blesses the world by scattering his spirit that bride. Now the disciples, of course, knew the word. They knew the spirit that marked the age of the kingdom of covenant that we know we've entered into by the blood of Christ. We see that Jesus blesses the world by scattering his spirit that bride. The bride of Christ will scatter. So he's not simply telling the disciples, and we'll see this later in John, what they do. It's exactly what we would do if there was horrible news of what was about to happen tomorrow. You know what we would do probably? We would instinctually gather in our homes with our loved ones. That's what the disciples do. Hearing this news, they gather in their homes. Jesus tells them, not only am I going to leave you, but, but it's for your good. For your benefit. But I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to scatter you to the world. Look what he says. In verse 7 and 8. Halfway through verse 7 before the end. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, the helper, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. In verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. What's the what's the conclusion? Disciples. So imagine this. You're one of the disciples in the room. The helper, the spirit, is going to come and dwell you. And the spirit, the helper, he is going to convict all the world. What's the natural conclusion for what's about to come your way? We are about to have to go, leave our home here, and we're going to have to go to all the earth. And that's what the Lord does. He scatters his bride in love. A love to take this message of hope in Christ to all the earth. And we are marks of this. Nacogdoches, Texas is the oldest town in Texas, but I'm certain that the disciples hadn't heard of it. And yet we are a part of the fruit and kindness of our God. And the Spirit, He who indwells us, calls us and empowers us to live as missionaries proclaiming the goodness of His truth and of ultimate truth. And proclaiming in love to all that we see, intentionally here, right across the street in the campus, and our daily lives here in Nacogdoches County and to the ends of the earth, unashamed of the glorious hope found in Christ alone. That's good news. He blesses the world by scattering His Spirit that rock. ruler of this world is judged. What's that mean for those that don't know Christ? Their allegiance is to the ruler of this world. But unlike Satan, whose fate is sealed and judgment is his, in Christ the unbeliever can know life and life eternal in the Son by faith. He came from that's good news. That's for their benefit. That's for your benefit. Children, that's for your benefit. To love others enough to speak the truth and love to follow Jesus. As many of you will go back into your school hallways very soon. Speak the truth and love. 
calling that God gives us? How does it for our benefit? What does it look like to have the helper? Oh, we long to be with Jesus. Older saints spend time with older saints, and as their bodies begin to ache more and more and more, they long to be with Jesus again. The beautiful widows that God has blessed our church family with, they, they long to be home in heaven again. The disciples who hear that Jesus is about to leave them, their presence physically, they long to be with them again. But Jesus promised them, this is for your benefit that I sent to help her. What's it look like, church family, though we look forward to being bodily with Christ? What's it mean to be for our benefit? It means that together as a congregation, we are living sacrifices. For the glory of God, holy and acceptable is spiritual worship. It means together, abhorring what is evil, holding fast to what is good. It means loving one another with brotherly affection. It means aiming to outdo one another and showing on. It means when we get slothful, to, to remind each other to never be slothful in zeal. Be awake and quickened in the spirit, serving the Lord. That's what it means for our lives. It means rejoicing in hope of one another. It means being patient in tribulation. It means being constant in prayer for one another. Not a week goes by that we don't share prayer requests one with another. It means contributing to the needs of the saints. And Paul tells us in this way, striving to show hospitality one to another. And if the Lord provides this opportunity, as we said earlier, Paul says that we would be able to bless those who persecute believers, to bless and not to curse them. That's what it means to not take it personal. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We live in harmony with one another. What's that mean? It means none of us can live hockey lives. None of us. We can't live lives that are hockey, but we should associate even with the lowest of the low. And all of these things, the judgment we see on Israel, is they do what's right in their own eyes. And Paul says, never be wise in our own understanding, our own sight. Application at the end of the day. That it truly is for our benefit that Jesus the Father has sent to help us. That He indwells us. We serve Him around for love and peace. Never repay people for evil. Never repay people for evil. But in love for one another, giving thought to what is honorable. For all, not for myself alone. That's the working of the Spirit to shape us into the image of Christ. That is good news. Isn't it, church family? That's good news, isn't it? How can we celebrate the Word of God? Will we celebrate the Word of God in our next steps? God and Christ response. Two response questions. Number one, Satan longs for bitterness and personal hatred to consume believers. He longs for it. He longs for a divided bride. 
Nothing makes it more joyful than local divided brides consumed by bitterness and envy and prejudice. And so we ask the Spirit. Spirit, would you search my heart and victory and help me to work to a place of forgiveness? That I would focus on the mission that you give me and you give us as a church family. This is good news. Talk to the Spirit. Ask Him to convict you. And we would not walk in the way that is right in our own eyes, but in His ways. And finally, who are one or two believers that are not currently physically gathering that I can call pray for this week. And if you're not physically gathering with us, call one or two believers that you may or may not be gathering. You know? And encourage them and pray with them. Fellowship with each other. There cannot be a more effective song of response. It is well with my soul. You probably know, as a matter of fact, when they see the share with us before, the background of the song. Horatio Spafford, I believe is his name. He was a man 150 years ago who lost his son in the Great Chicago Fire of the late 1800s. The fire burnt up his law firm, his business, he lost it all. He had four daughters left in a while. He sent them ahead for a European vacation to get away from them. His plans changed at the last moment and he could not join them. That ship, as it would travel across the Atlantic, would hit another boat and sink, killing his four children. His wife had sent him a telegram with two words. Saved alone. He would get on a boat as quick as possible to go and to meet his wife in Europe. And it was riding on that boat in the Atlantic, perhaps near the spot where they died, that he would write the verse of the song, Believer, it is for our benefit that we have to help her. Peace of God that surpasses understanding. This is the good news of the complaint. Would you stand with me as we sing in response to the word of God?